We finished last time talking quickly about a prophet and uh, who the prophet is. They say, come down to John on the Jordan River. They say, who are you? And he says what? I am not the Christ. And we talked about that, that there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament preparing the way for a form of baptism. That somehow water is going to purify a man at the time of the coming of the Messiah. Okay, and we took looked at a couple of those texts, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Joel. You can get those for me later if you weren't here. Then what do they say? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? We skipped that one and we went to the prophet. Okay? Are you the prophet? And who are they asking about? Moses. Moses. And what did I say? What's important about when you're reading this? How are we to understand that? What what should we reflect upon? If they're looking for Moses or a prophet like Moses, what what kind of a scenario are we going to have at our hands? Slavery, Exodus, what else? The promised land, the mountain, Sinai, all these things should all pop into our heads. That's the background. Okay, we gotta have that available to us, because that's what they're looking for. And the other question was Are you? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Have you already Christ the prophet? Are you Elijah? Okay. And John says, I am not. Okay, we're going to spend a little time on this. All right. Are you Elijah? First of all, why do they ask him if he's Elijah? Well, Elijah was the only one I know taken up into heaven. He was and he was supposed to come back. Well, now you're skipping ahead. We're going to get to that. But you don't just walk up to anybody and say, all right, look, is Jesus going to return? Yeah. But I don't, I've never walked up to you and said, are you Jesus, have I? But if Elijah comes, then you get close. Okay, but there's, uh, there's 100,000 people walking around. I don't think the Pharisees are walking up to everybody. Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? Because what is it about John? He was what about Elijah? What do you mean? What happens did Elijah have to do with baptizing? Did Elijah, did Elijah ever baptize? No. So what is it about John? They ask him, are you Elijah? What is it that's attracting that question? What is it about John that's attracting that question? Because he's calling for repentance. What's that have to do with anything? Because that's what Elijah did. All right. Hold on to that. That's part of it, but it's not the most basic answer. Because they feel that he's a prophet. There was other prophets. They were waiting, to, waiting for the Messiah. The way he dressed, the way he ate, what he did. Say The way he dressed, the way he ate, what he did. What's, what do you mean, the way he dressed, what he ate? Well, where is that? Which will hold it? I'm not going to wait for the Messiah. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. We do a lot of flipping today. Matthew chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 4. Go ahead, Julie. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Okay. Camel's hair, leather girdle around his waist. Turn to 2 Kings. 
to Kings chapter 1. What happens, um, what happens is the king falls sick and he sends one of his men to go inquire from one of the pagan priests as to what's going to happen to him, okay? And this guy goes out and he runs into Elijah, okay? So there's your context in verse chapter 1, verse 5. Francis, want to read that verse, verse 5 and on? The messengers then returned to Ahaza and who asked them, Why have you returned? The men came up to us. They answered, Who said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him the law says, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire? Uh, the God of Echo. For this you shall not leave the bed upon which you lie, instead you shall die. The king asked them, What was the man like who came up to you and said these things to you? Grand Harry Garment, they replied, and the letter girdle about his lord. It is Elijah. The tissue he says, okay. He says, he says, what, what kind of man was this that came up to you? And they said, well, he wore a garment. We're at Second uh, Kings chapter one verse five. Second Kings one five. He said he's got wearing a leather uh, leather garment or a, a hair cloth and a leather garment. Right? He wore a garment of hair cloth and a girdle of leather around his loins. Okay. Yes, what's going on? Do you have the Jewe translation? If you do, it's King, it's fourth King. That's fine. I think it's having to find you. Yeah, it's verse 8. Yeah, verse 5 through 8. Verse 5 through 8. Okay. So, Elijah is identified, or is it John the Baptist is identified as wearing the same clothes as Elijah wore. You see that? The connection between the two. Okay? Do you think John the Baptist knew what he was doing? Sure. Yeah. Okay, he was in costume. He was dressing up like Elijah on purpose. Okay, and he's down there on the Jordan River baptizing people, kind of inviting the question. Okay? So he did it on purpose. Why would you I would say yes, he did it, probably did it on purpose. Were they part of the okay. same Qumran tribe? What's that? Were they part of the same Qumran tribe? Or? Elijah and John the Baptist? No, they, they, they would not have been around at that time, in the time of Elijah. Okay? So John's out there in the desert doing similar things or dressing up in a similar way to Elijah. Marianne, hold on to your thought there. Just hold on. We're going to go somewhere. Why was he dressing like him? We're going to go to that. <laughs> Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 7. Mary, you want to read that? Verse 7 through 12. And when they went their way, Jesus began to say to them, 
say to you that there hath not risen among them that are born of women a greater than John the Baptist. Yet he that is the lesser in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violence buried away. Keep going. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, he is Elijah that is to come. Aha! Uh-huh. So Jesus says he's Elijah to come. What does John say? I'm not Elijah. We've got a problem, don't we? Okay? First of all, when in the world is there interest in Elijah? What is this Elijah's to come? Why are, the, why are the Pharisees even going down and asking this question in the first place? Okay? Then Jesus says, Elijah's the one that he's going to come. What's that all about? When Elijah comes, he prepares away the Lord. But how do you know he's going to come again? What do you mean he's going to come? Because when, uh, when he was taken up into heaven in the, in the fiery chair, right? And, uh, and at that point in time, isn't that when... Uh, when the, gospel, when the uh, Old Testament starts to say that he come back to prepare the way of the Lord? No. I don't understand. What's that? Wait, hold on. What's, what's the question? I don't understand why uh, Jesus said um, he is Elias. That's the question I'm asking. Why is Jesus even bringing up Elijah? And why is he saying this is Elijah who is to return? Why? Some of you know the answer. Give it to me. Elijah is a precursor of the Messiah. No. No. This is a good learning experience. Is there another prophecy that says Elijah's going to come? What prophecy is that? From the Old Testament. Who does the next text? Do me a favor. This is a good general Bible study lesson. Here is a reference to the Old Testament. Jesus is saying he's going to come again. What's he talking about? Look to your footnote. Okay? Chapter 11, verse 14. Look to your footnote at the bottom of your page. And what's the first reference you have? <coughs> Malachi, four, chapter 4, verse 5. Okay? Now, Malachi is just before Maccabees. Okay? Just before Maccabees. If you don't have a footnote, I apologize. Yeah. Whenever you have an Old Testament reference made explicitly, there's going to be a footnote in your Bible. Okay? Just look down to it and go back and read it. Chapter 4, verse 5. This prophecy in Malachi is the Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. This is the last verse. Or the last whatever section. Uh, it's the last verse, or the second last verse. Of the last prophet. The very last thing said before the prophets of the Old Testament close is what? Go ahead, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord's house. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. 
Okay. Do you think Malachi 4? Oh, here, hold on. Time out. Don't get excited. Some of your Bibles. What is it? 323. Some of your Bibles have a different pagination or whatever chapter and nation, what do you want to call it? Different chapters and verses. Chapter 3, what? 323. If you didn't have chapter 4, verse 5, then it's at 323. Why is that? Because the chapters and verses are a late edition. They're not part of your Bible. Okay? Now, do you think that's important to the, to the Jews at the time of Christ? Stay with me, people. Don't worry. Don't worry. Malachi 4 5. Write it down in your notes. Okay? The last prophet of the Old Testament, the last thing he says is Behold, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah's going to return. Read, before the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to return. Do you think the Jews thought that was important? Yes. Elijah's got to come before the Messiah. They know that. They go down to John on the river. And what's he done? He's put on clothes. Just the way they described Elijah in the Old Testament. Okay? It goes further. Turn to Luke, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. Get there, move fast, move fast. Move fast. Chapter 1, verse 13. Go ahead. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor, or, nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers toward children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to prepare a people fit for the Lord. Okay. So, this, this thing about John the Baptist, he is going to be the new Elisha. Christ confirms that he is that man, but we've got a problem that John denies it. Right. Yeah. And not only that, that John's dressed up just like him. He's acting like him. We'll get into what he's doing a little later. Okay. Why does John deny it? father was told 
this whole thing. Do you think John knows about that whole incident? Yeah. Probably. And if his dad didn't tell him, I guarantee you his mom did. His mom did. His neighbors all told him about what happened to his dad and this whole thing. The guy who's gone out, lived in the desert his whole life in preparation for his vocation. This guy's in touch with God. He knows what's going on. Okay? It didn't accidentally wake up one morning and throw on the exact same description of clothing as Elijah did. Okay? I mean, Elijah was Give me something. I mean, he wouldn't be Elijah then. He's not the same person. Yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't mean it's the same Responded to the priests and Levites, I am not, because he knew what they were really asking. For the earlier question to John from the priests and the Levites was not intended to ascertain if the same spirit was in both men, but if John were that very Elijah, who had been taken up and now appearing without a word, according to the Jewish expectation. For those who had been sent from Jerusalem may have been ignorant about John's birth. He appropriately answers this question, I am not. For Elijah, who had been taken up, had not come as if he had changed his body and had been named John. Okay? I'm going to go one step further. I think it's a little bit of fun we're going to have. Okay? I've got a theory on this one. Who's asking these questions? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. And now, who are the arch enemies of the Pharisees? The Sadducees. And what was the major argument between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The resurrection. Yeah, turn to Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> Acts chapter 23 is one of my favorite texts. St. Paul's the man to get himself out of the situation. Chapter 23. I'm going to read this one because it's my favorite. Acts chapter 23. Acts follows the Gospel of John. Chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. Verse 1. And you see what happens. Paul gets arrested and he's in front of, he's in front of the council. And Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived before God in all things conscious up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then, and then Paul said to him, God shall strike you, you whitewashed wall. <laughs> That's good stuff. Are you sitting in judgment of me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you ordered me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. With respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. 
And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, or angels, or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Okay, so he 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 knows the argument going on, and he just lays it out there. And of course, he is on trial for the resurrection of the dead because he's on trial for Christ, right? So he lets them battle it out between them. So anyway, that's my theory on what's going on. And according to Origen, something similar is going on here. That they are going down there to ask him, and I think maybe it's evidence for their argument because if John says, "I am Elijah," then he becomes a tool in their game. He becomes a tool between the fight between the Sadducees and the Pharisees and becomes a pawn for them. Right? A middleman to argue about and to battle over. And so John says, uh uh-uh, uh, you're not gonna suck me into your game. And we're gonna find out pretty quick. There's a lot of things going on with the Pharisees in the background in the Gospel of John. Okay? There's a lot more than has been said already. And it's all gonna come out eventually in time. Okay? Any questions? John had said, I am Elijah, you realize we would never have a religion. Why? Well, because if, if he had said he was Elijah, and we had that in the Bible, mm-hmm. okay, Elijah is to come prepare the way for the final coming of Christ, mm-hmm. the final, the end of the world. Mm-hmm. That would never have happened. Ah, wrong! Because what he was doing, and this is the very next thing we're going to talk about, was preparing the way for the Lord. What he had already done, he had already accomplished his mission in some way. Okay, he still, there's something more coming, but I'm actually what you're saying. But, you know. All right. Why will Elijah return? Not just from Malachi. What was it about Elijah that would make him perfect to return before the coming of Christ? I asked you to look into Elijah and who he was. How many people actually didn't think about that? Come on. I know somebody did. Please tell me what. Gave the wrong. Um... Second Kings, First Kings. He's in both. You get scan the text. Oh, she missed. All right, guys. <sighs> what was it about Elijah? First of all, what was the situation? Well, that's the real thing because they were the Jews were worshiping Baal and. Good. He stood up, right, he stood up against a, situ- a whole situation going on. That's the picture we've got to have in our mind. What was going on at the time of Elijah? That's the first question. What was the background to Elijah? Okay, turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings 16? 13. Which is 3 Kings if you don't know who If you're stuck in a past, you can accept the second time. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm joking. <laughs> chapter 16. Chapter 16. 1 Kings 16. 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all that were before him. And as if it had been 
a, a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He took the what? Who was Jeroboam? <laughs> Who was the story of Jeroboam? You guys remember? Who was the counterpart to Jeroboam? Jeroboam became king of the north, and Rehoboam became king of the south. Exactly. The son of Nebat. He took for wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah to God. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel uh, of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segu. Segu, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Who was Joshua, the son of Nun? Joshua. He lived in Jericho. Why Joshua brings the people into the Holy Land, right? If you guys are forgetting this stuff, come tomorrow night to the coffee house. Okay? What's the first thing, if you're reading the Bible, what's the first thing you should do right there at the last verse where it says, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun? Yeah, find out what he said. How are you going to find out easily? Footnote, exactly. We're not going to go there right now, but that exact same text, Joshua says, says basically to hell with anyone who rebuilds Jericho, because he'll do it at the cost of his oldest son and his youngest son, which is what he does. He probably sold the kids into slavery or whatever he did, okay, to rebuild the Jericho. It was prophesied in those exact words, okay? Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbeam and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God lives before whom I stand in there, and so on and so on. Okay? So what's the situation? The people are steeped in sin. Okay? In a sense, they're in slavery to sin. That's the general background to Elijah and what's going on. There's a lot more things we can look at. We want to look at one thing in particular, and that is how he was taken up into heaven. So turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings comes after 1 Kings. Okay. i got to guide you guys through this really fast because we've got to get through more material. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elisha was his follower. And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives and you live yourselves, I will not leave you. And so he went down to Bethel. Okay, this is the story he keeps following him. Verse 4. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, Tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me unto Jericho. But he says, the Lord lives his Lord, I will not leave you. Verse 6. Then Elijah said, no, tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And the same thing. Elijah said, I will not leave you. Okay? What's happening? Elijah is making his way out of the Holy Land. He makes his way to the Jordan River. And at the Jordan River, what happens? Do you remember? Yeah, but before he's taken up, 
He parts the waters, and they part. He crosses through the midst of the waters. He comes out on the other side, and what takes him up into heaven? Ah, it's not a chariot. Nah. Read close. There is a fiery chariot. But the whirlwind takes him up into heaven. Okay? A wind, a whirlwind, a wind. A strong wind comes in and takes him up into heaven. What's another word for wind? The Spirit of God comes and sweeps him up and takes him into heaven. Okay? Into paradise. Into the dwelling place of God. Now, who else parted the waters and crossed through them? Moses. Okay. What kind of event do you think this is going on with Elijah? What's it parting of the waters? First of all, well, I'm going to back way up because I missed my first thing I was supposed to talk about with you guys today. <laughs> I'll give it up now. Sorry, guys, I didn't have a tool step I was supposed to take. Okay. We're down in the Jordan River, and there. And what's John doing? Baptizing. Baptizing. We're going to come back to this text. I apologize. Baptism. What is baptism? What happens in baptism? There's a cleansing, a washing away of original sin. What did I say, say last time about the Pharisees? What was their interest? Cleanliness. Yeah, ritual purity. What does ritual purity have to do with baptism? The washing. Yeah, there's a washing taking place. For the Jews, what was happening to the person when they were being washed? Were they cleansing dirt off of their body? No, that was not the most important thing. Yeah, a washing away or a cleansing of sin. And when sin enters the soul, what thing comes to the soul? What major problem? What major problem comes to the person? When sin entered into man in the beginning, what came with sin? Separation. Death. Separation from God is true. Okay, God is the source of life, and when you're separated from Him, you receive death. Okay, baptism for the Jews and for the early Christians and for the Catholics and Christians today, hopefully, baptism is a way of, in a sense, putting to death the old man and restoring man to his relationship with God. Baptism is not something uniquely Christian. Okay? It was a way for the Jews to put aside their old life to enter into a new life. But they still love this baptism. Jews? Yeah. I should know that. They practice ritual purity. And it depends on what Jews you're talking about, but they practice ritual purity. Okay, which is a form of baptism. They also practice circumcision, which is a form of baptism. Okay? All right. For the Jews, looking back to the Old Testament, what of major events for them were types of baptism? What? What? Noah's Ark. Good. What happens in Noah's Ark? What are the two things that happen in baptism? Sinful man dies in the waters, and the people of God are brought into union with their Savior. When else? Parting of the Red Sea. Parting of the Red Sea. What happens? 
Who dies? Pharaoh and the Egyptians, symbolizing the slavery to sin, die in the waters, and the people of God come forth purified to Mount Sinai to worship their Lord. When else? When else? Come on, there's one other major crossing of water. Good. The crossing of the Jordan River. To what city? Jericho. With what man? Joshua. Where did Elijah just leave? Jericho. And he crossed the river. But what's different about Elijah? What's different about Elijah different than Moses? What's different about Elijah different than Joshua? He's going the wrong way. Isn't he? He's supposed to be going towards the Holy Land. But what's the problem with the Holy Land? It is a place of the dwelling of the sinful people. Slavery to sin and death. And Elijah, in order to come into union with God, has to leave that place. Whether it's a physical Holy Land or whether it's Egypt, because that place has become a spiritual Egypt, a place of bondage to sin and slavery. Does that make sense? For God to bring Elijah back into union with him, he's got to get him out of the place of sin. So Elijah performs what I like to call a reverse baptism. Okay? Not reverse in the same thing that the opposite takes place, but he's going the wrong way. Okay? The people are in sin and in slavery to sin. The people know that. That's why the Pharisees are interested in ritual cleansing, to purify man. So what kind of man do they need? If the people are in slavery, what kind of man do they need? What kind of man from the Old Testament? Who? Moses, the prophet. But if the people are in slavery to sin in their own land... What kind of man do they need? Elijah. Okay, they need a prophet like Moses, Moses with the personal experience of Elijah. Does that make sense? Okay. Origen says he, speaking of Elijah, was made more fit to be taken into heaven after having been baptized in the Jordan River. Origin identifies Elijah's crossing of the Jordan River as a baptism. A leaving aside of the old man and an entrance into the presence of God in the new man. N.T. Wright, who I, I don't have his book, well, I have one of his books. Anyways. says, anyone collecting the people in the Jordan wilderness was symbolically saying, this is a new exodus. John is calling the people out of the Holy Land, saying, come down, get out of that place of sin, and be baptized, cross through the waters with me, and repent. Okay? However, one thing is missing from the scene. One thing that was present in all of those instances in the Old Testament, and what was it? One thing absolutely necessary for the restoration of man. What was it? But 
place see grace in the Old Testament? You're right. In a different word. Why do you say the Holy Spirit? Where was the Holy Spirit in the crossing of the Red Sea? Remember, the wind came down, the Spirit, the Ruach of God came down and separated the waters. Again, when Joshua crosses the Jordan River, the waters are parted again. When Noah was in the ark, you remember he sent forth the dove which hovered over the waters. And St. Jerome says, don't think those waters parted by themselves. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that the waters were parted. When Elijah was taken up into heaven, he would have been left in his sin and died had it not been for the Spirit of God to come and take him there. Turn back to the New Testament. Chapter Luke, uh, uh, Luke chapter 3. Joshua of old do? 
he led the people into the promised land. I have a question. Yes. With a very important phrase, you said, I can repent all that I want, but without the grace of Jesus Christ. Can you embellish that a bit? Did I sound Protestant? Just about accusing Yeah, no, no, no. The life of God is bestowed upon us as a free gift of God. It is not mine. I have no right to it whatsoever. I can do everything, and I should do everything to prepare myself for that. But it's God who gives us the gift of life. It just seems strange, though, because when you're talking about repentance, I mean, that in itself being a grace, right? So it seems strange that you're going to distinguish the two. Like, first there being a repentance, and then there somehow after that being a saving. The, re the repentance is on my side. It's one that every time when I go to confession, before I go to confession, I better repent. I prepare my soul for the saving grace of God. St. Ephraim. St. John whitened the stains of sin with ordinary water so that the bodies might be rendered suitable for the robe of the Spirit that is given through the Lord. Okay, notice what St. Athanasius said. Yeah. That, re that repentance keeps it... We're still according to our nature. I'm still a man separated from God. I've done what is necessary to prepare myself, but now it's God who bestows the life. The robe of glory, okay, which Adam had before the fall. You don't like that, Mary Ann. Go ahead, Anson. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's all right. Go ahead. No, I'm not saying anything. Is there a, is there a, like a subtle commentary here on the land if Elijah's leaving the schools and John the Baptist making it basically a commentary of what's going on inside the whole land now, and therefore the land is not as important as maybe the Jews might think it is, and what's really important right? something else. It's a good point because pretty soon in John, we're going to find that the land has been, or the land par excellence, the temple, has been, uh, what do you want to say, um, enfleshed in Christ. That he's now the location to where man should be journeying. But more importantly, this stage in the gospel is simply the fact that John, in some sense, has identified what's going on in the Holy Land. He's associated what's going on in the Holy Land with Egypt. And therefore, the rulers of the Jews in that Holy Land as being the rulers of Egypt who enslaved the people. And in John, we're going to find out the Pharisees are identified in that very way. In fact, the first time after this that we're going to run into the Pharisees is going to be with Nicodemus. And that scene is not going to be pretty. Okay? Other questions? No? You guys okay? Alright. We can give you guys a few minutes. Go back to John. Oh, the other thing I wanted to, wanted to confess to you guys, I apologize for, was that this is too late. 8.15 is too late, yes? Yeah. But have mercy on me. I drive an hour. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, he's going to run out exactly that clock. I'm going to change the clock so I can extra five minutes. All right, chapter 1, verse 19. I'm going to read it so I can go fast. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, he did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And are you the prophet? And he said, He answered, No. And they said to him, Then who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. What are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to go back there, aren't you, and read that? I hope so. Now, they had been sent for the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are not neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. You do not know. What does that remind you of? Moses. No? Jesus. In the prologue, what's it remind you of? And the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not comprehend it. What else? What else? Who else didn't know him? The Jews. His own. Oh, his own people did not receive him. The world. The world did not know him. So now he's speaking to the Pharisees, and they're identified in some way with the world. Okay. Even he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, this took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptized. If anybody has a question about that thong and sandal thing, I'm working on something. You talk to me later. This took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing him with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Hanson, keep going, verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Okay, and so on. Now, I'm going to leave you with this because we're done. I'm sorry, but we're done. Well, you're probably not sorry, but I am. <laughs> there is a structure to this text. You guys remember we talked about chiasms? Yeah. yeah. There's not a chiasm here. Sorry. But there is a structure hidden in the text. There's a repetition of a particular phrase. It helps us very much. Don't look for it right now. Just listen to me for a second. You can do your homework. Please do your homework. The structure is called an inclusio. It's inclusio. It's a frame. Okay? And this will happen where you'll get a repetition of a term and a repetition of the term. And in the middle, the picture that's made in the middle will be made more intelligible by what is said before and what is said after this frame. <coughs> It frames the picture of what's taking place. In the baptism of Christ, there is an inclusio in John. And it helps us to understand what's taking place. I'm going to give you a hint. It has to do with the Lamb of God. Okay? Now, I have a second thing I need you to do at home. There are a number of lambs of God in the Old Testament. Real quickly, what are they? The Passover lamb. Where is that? Beginning of Exodus. What's next? What other lamb of God? God will provide himself the lamb of Abraham. Yeah, Abraham and Isaac. Okay? Genesis chapter 22? Something like that? Okay? I'm being recorded. I should know that. Um, what else? There's a third lamb. Very important. Old Testament. 
There's another Lamb of God in the Old Testament. And my dear friends, that's what you've got to find out. And you've got to ask yourself, which Lamb of the Old Testament is John using? Because once you discover that, suddenly you'll discover a whole background that was necessary for reading the baptism of Christ. What Lamb of God in the Old Testament is John referring to? I'll give you a hint. It's in the prophet Isaiah. Good luck. Have fun. See you next week. Same time, same place. Tomorrow night, 7.30. Starbucks. Starbucks. Do you have any more announcements I forgot? I don't think so. Pray for me. I think I'm going to go buy a house. The guy called me. And I think I'm going to buy a house. Please pray. St. Joseph. You don't have to pay for a while. I can't afford it. Christ is risen. He is risen.